Welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast, where marketers come to look themselves in the mirror and discover how to unlock their superpowers. In this episode, we explore how to use mental technology for self-inquiry and ask ourselves, can we hack our personality? Personality hackers Antonia Dodge and Joel Mark Witt join us to take a look under the hood and decode how our minds operate. Joel Mark Witt is a speaker, writer, and digital media entrepreneur with a focus on personal growth and transformational leadership. As the co-owner and CEO of Personality Hacker, he oversees a new kind of publishing company that merges digital media with emerging models of human development. He focuses on helping people hack their personalities and create more happiness in their lives. Antonia Dodge is an author, thought leader, coach, trainer, systems thinker, and personality profiling expert. Seeing how people tick is at the heart of Antonia's natural ability to understand how people's systems work. At the age of 15, Antonia picked up a book on personality psychology and her world changed forever. She began to see the patterns of why people do what they do, not based on their behavior alone, but based on how the mind works. Together, they run Personality Hacker, and their clients include Zappos, CNN, American Express, and Oracle. You can learn more at personalityhacker.com. Jeff Livingston is the founder of Livingston Campaigns and Livingston Photography. He's a marketing leader, a buzz creator, a published author, and a social fundraiser. As an online marketer and social fundraiser, Jeff has helped brands and nonprofits raise more than 200. leverages the gig economy to make CMO-level talent and marketing project execution available for companies of all sizes. You can learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And that brings us to me. I'm Nicole Kelly, the founder of the Conscious Marketing Institute, a marketing visionary, industry innovator, and quantum healer. I have a track record for creating evolutionary change in the marketing industry. As an early pioneer in social media measurement, I wrote the book, inspire marketers to unlock their superpowers so together we can help humanity step into its full potential. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Please join Jeff and I in a warm welcome for today's guests and together let's create an industry-wide evolution of consciousness. Hi, and welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast. Today we are joined by Antonia and Joel. How are you guys? Very well. Fantastic. I'm really excited about this one because we are such close friends and we've had these conversations. I mean, I think I've known you guys for at least a decade now and we've had so many of these just really amazing intellectually stimulating conversations. And I wanted to have you on the show today to specifically talk about mental technology, Myers-Briggs, and ultimately what role personality plays in our self-talk. And I know usually I kind of open the show and go through an overview, but to be honest, like Antonia and Joel are the experts here. So I wanted to open by letting them talk about mental technology, why they like the Myers-Briggs model, and what the car model is, which is something that I think is unique to how they apply Myers-Briggs. So Antonia, you want to go over that? 
Sure. So personality is one of those things that is, I don't know, almost like a little controversial because a lot of people don't like the idea of being boxed in. Uh, they don't like the idea that a personality test can tell them who they are or define their identity or role. At the same time, we can't help but personality type everybody we come across. We do it with sometimes kind of shitty metrics. We do it based on gender or race or socioeconomic level outward markers. And we do that because humans are way too complex to truly understand each other if we don't have some sort of framework in our minds. We have to pattern recognize. We can't help it because just getting to know ourselves is a lifelong process. So to apply that same energy to another person to truly understand who they are would be a Herculean feat. So we have a tendency to create these patterns in our minds or frameworks for how human beings behave and react. And what personality models do is uh, it creates a framework that makes it easier for us to organize our information and vet it through outer world feedback. As in, if a whole bunch of people are talking about a specific framework, then we aren't just vetting it through our own criteria. We actually have other people to bounce ideas off of and our frameworks become stronger. So the Myers-Briggs personality indicator, Myers-Briggs, the model itself, it's not necessarily like it's true or accurate or like a fact. It's simply a model or framework for us to help organize pieces of information about what we learn about other people and ourselves, and then to be able to understand ourselves a little quicker, as opposed to having to get to know somebody for, say, a decade and still not quite understand who they are, how they operate. Uh, what we do is we figure out certain patterns of how humans behave and then go, okay, I think I understand you a little bit better. And the other piece that it does for us is that it allows us to meet people in their sandbox as opposed to requiring everybody to meet us in our own sandbox because we all overvalue our own experience. We all come to the world assuming everybody's seeing everything that we're seeing. And when they don't match up to that, then we think they're either being obnoxious or deliberately obtuse or maybe just stupid. So when we understand how other people are wired and these mental models or mental technologies are about the wiring of each individual person's mind, when we understand how other people are wired, then as opposed to thinking that somebody's stupid when they don't see what we see, or magic when they see something we don't or we miss, we can understand that everybody's given a different kind of baseline hardware of interaction with the world. When we learn those technologies, when we understand what that mental wiring is, then we can meet them where they're at, as opposed to everybody meeting us where we're at. So mental technologies are simply frameworks. They're just ways of pattern recognizing human behavior and the way that we show up at the, to the world in a way that's a little bit better than our more shallow criteria that we have a tendency to come up with on our own. One of the things that was really helpful for me, and you've just been so profound in my own journey of really understanding myself and reflecting. And one of the things that really helped me was to understand that you know, first as humans, we're organic machines, ultimately, you know, we have this, we, we think that we're different from robots, but at the end of the day, we have pro programming and architecture inside of us. And it just so happens that we're sentient. And so we actually make decisions about that hardware and that architecture. And when I think about the human mind and the construct of mental technology, it's really helpful for me to look at the brain as essentially like a central processing unit and that there are programs running in our brains that determine how we make decisions, how we interpret the internal world, how we interpret the external world. And I think what Myers-Briggs has done for me is it's really helped me understand the software that I was born with and then given me the opportunity to then go and upgrade that software and or accept it as is. <laughs> so I've been, it's been very, very helpful for me 
And my Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTJ, and I know we've had conversations, we thought I was an ENTP, and then it was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a J, and I've really fully accepted that. And one of the things that for me was especially useful was I kind of fought the ENTJ diagnosis at the beginning because I liked the ENTP better. I liked the, like, the worldview of ENTP better. But when I really started to look at what worked for me, and when I was more in flow and when I felt just like everything was really going my way and I, I felt like I had no resistance in my external environment. It was when I structured my life to fit what works for an ENTJ, things like to-do lists and having a clean house and all of these things were really big indicators for me. And then I noticed that when I fell out of alignment, it was because I hadn't set up those systems for myself. So if my house is messy, it's a really good indication for me of what's happening in my mind now and I use that essentially to then say okay now it's time to self-reflect and look at what's going on and I just wanted to also just go over one of the things that I think the, the Myers-Briggs is super interesting but when I look at how I respond to my external environment you've described the car model to me and that car model really has helped me understand one where um, I'm being triggered and responding from a part of myself that's underdeveloped, but it's also been critical in really understanding when that's happening to someone else so that I can have more empathy and compassion for what they're going through. So do you mind going through that model as well? Sure. Joel's looking <laughs> at me, so I'll take that one too. So the CAR model is actually based on the underlying the underlying model beneath Myers-Briggs and where a lot of people are uh, mistaken about what the Myers-Briggs model is. So the four letters that you just mentioned, you're an ENTJ, and that just is a four-letter code. And it, and it has meaning in and of itself. ENTJ would be extrovert, intuitive, thinker, judger. Most people stop there. That's really, right. like most people know their code and they, okay, these are the traits of my personality and then that's, that's it. Right, and then there's encapsulated avatars or profiles written about each of these 16 Myers-Briggs types. But that's, uh, that's actually just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the, the work that Isabel Briggs-Myers and Catherine Briggs worked on was actually uh, built on Jungian cognitive functions. Cognitive functions are, the easiest way to understand them is that they're, it's mental wiring. Different ways of engaging with the world through either decision-making or through perception. And they're, they're different styles of, uh, like you mentioned, almost like hardwired into our mind to look at different things and, and understand how we value things differently and what catches our attention differently. And so there's eight cognitive functions in total. And they all have an either introverted or internally focused, uh, what's called attitude, or an externally wired attitude. And everybody has access to all eight of them. But the ones that we prefer are the ones that make up our personality type. These cognitive functions also has either a perceiving uh, assignation or information gathering uh, way of experiencing the world or a decision-making or judging way or assignation. And they basically that means that the information we take in, we also have to determine the value of that information. So we're wired, each person is wired a little differently on how they're naturally going to evaluate the world. So some people might evaluate it based on outcome. Other people might evaluate information based on the purity of the data and how accurate it is. Some people make decisions based on how much it strikes them as an individual and how authentic it is to them. And other people do it based on whether or not it's going to 
help all of us get along. So there's different styles of decision-making or judging the value and worth of the information we take in. And all of us favor two of these cognitive functions the most. We favor a specific way of taking in information and we favor a specific way of determining the worth or value of that information. And that's actually understanding those two cognitive functions or mental wiring. Uh, that's actually the foundation of Myers-Briggs. So when you see that four-letter code and you go, oh, I'm an ENTP, and then you look up all this information online about, and I'm, I'm an ENTP, which is why I threw that one out. You look up all this information online about you know, what that means and what are the characteristics and how do they show up, and, and then none of them quite suit you. Like, there's always like, well, kind of, yeah, I mean, like, I, I kind of identify with that, but then this one description will talk about how ENTPs are all like Doc Brown, and it's like, mm, kind of, not really. Or you might be a different Myers-Briggs personality type and you look up a description and it's kind of, it's like, yeah, I mean, I identify with that to some extent. Well, that's because those profiles or descriptions are intending to encapsulate all the different varieties or ways that a person could be um, using those cognitive functions or that mental wiring. So an, an example of that is, say we, uh, each, each different personality type has a different operating system. Let's look at it that way. So uh, I'm going to have the same operating system as another ENTP, but different pieces of software or apps could be downloaded on that operating system, and that's going to make it look wildly different. Like I could be using the same operating system as another person, but all of the things that are downloaded onto my operating system are completely different based on individual interests or the influences of my life. So you could look at those two you know, maybe laptops or whatever and go, these are the same at all, and that's because I have a different backdrop on mine and I have all these different software programs, but it's actually the operating system underneath that's the same. So when you look at a description of your type, they're trying to get to the operating system while still describing all the apps. And that's where the discrepancies show up. That's why Myers-Briggs has a tendency to confuse people or people think that it's not accurate. And uh, what cognitive functions do is they get to the operating system level and they start to describe how those mental processes work and then go, well, and it's individualized to you, which is how there could be 7 billion people in 16 types. And so the car model is a way to illustrate those cognitive functions. So your favorite of the eight is we put it in, uh, basically the car model looks like a driver, a co-pilot, behind the co-pilot is a 10-year-old and behind the driver is a three-year-old. And your favorite mental process or cognitive function sits in the driver's seat. Knowing your driver cognitive function is incredibly important because that's what puts you in flow. Uh, when people are introverts, but they identify as being extroverts or vice versa, it's because whatever that mental process is, it has a very specific way of showing up with either extroversion or introversion. It's not always the same. So an introvert could be an introvert and really enjoy hanging out with people and talking with people. Uh, and that looks very different than an introvert that needs a lot more alone time in order to process. And so the person who's an introvert might not identify as an introvert because compared to somebody else using a different introverted process, they seem more extroverted. So they'll push themselves to an extroverted place. And yet their, their best work happens alone. They still need that alone time. So it's, it's those kinds of nuances that are really important in understanding these cognitive functions because it, it gives you more nuance and flavor on your relationship with your mental wiring. So that driver process is super important because that's what puts you in flow and then it gives you kind of an idea of what are the things you need to do to stay in flow and get energy and feel good about yourself. And then next to the driver is a co-pilot and that's like your navigator. It's the person who's reading the map. Uh, it's the other adult in the car. And that is going to be whatever process you are naturally talented at but have a tendency to not want to build skill in. And the reason why is your co-pilot will always be the uh, what's called attitudinal opposite of your driver. So if your driver's extroverted, your co-pilot is introverted. 
And if your driver's introverted, your co-pilot is extroverted. Well, we all favor the world that we're most comfortable in. So we have a tendency to kind of neglect the co-pilot a little bit, even though it's our navigation system. So one of the most powerful elements of understanding that piece of the car model is to know what's the biggest bang for your developmental buck. If you focus on developing the co-pilot process, you actually become a lot more balanced as a person. Um, and so just knowing that about your personality type is really uh, important. If you are into the technical aspect of Myers-Briggs, the technical names for these are the dominant and auxiliary process or cognitive function. But we put it in the car because it's a little easier to understand a driver and a navigator. Behind the co-pilot sits a 10-year-old, and this is a less sophisticated but oftentimes insightful part of who you are. Uh, the reason why it's at a 10-year-old level is because it's the exact opposite of the co-pilot. So you're going to spend more time in the co-pilot pilot usually, and it's a natural talent for you. And 10-year-old is a place you're going to go to at times, uh, but it's not going to be as sophisticated. And we have a tendency to go to the 10-year-old te process when we're defensive. So it's important to know what the 10-year-old process is because that's your defense strategy. Anytime the universe is trying to give you a piece of information that you don't want to hear, you're going to go to the 10-year-old to soothe yourself and to not try, to, try not to hear that information. But at the same time, it's also a, uh, a very joyful, uh, playful part of your personality. So understanding what it is to go there in a place or a time period of play as opposed to a time of defense is really important. And then behind the driver's it's a three-year-old and it's the exact opposite of the driver and that's why it's only got the sophistication of a three-year-old and knowing what your three-year-old mental process is uh, helpful because that's your blind spot uh, it's the part of you that you tend to resist neglect it's also the part of you that you go to when you're, you're throwing your temper tantrums so understanding the three-year-old process is important for um, recognizing your temper tantrum like behaviors uh, the places when you're in the grip of something that feels like not you that's usually your three three-year-old process and recognizing a good relationship with it, uh, figuring out how to use it in more healthy ways as opposed to as a blind spot um, is really good information too. So that's like a, a meta perspective on something. I'm not plugging any specifics into there because again, there's eight different cognitive functions that can be applied in that car model in all sorts of different configurations and that's what gives us 16 personality types is what are the players in your car. So those four letters like ENTJ, ENFP, ENTP, or whatever it is, that was actually originally a decoder ring to tell you what your cognitive functions were. But that's a little bit more complicated than most people want to dig into a model, so they just see those four letters and they see a shallow description and they go, oh, that's all bullshit. To some extent, they're right. That is all bullshit, right? Nobody can be encapsulated. 16, 7 billion people can't be encapsulated in 16 different profiles. It's just impossible. But when you go to the operating system and go, oh, you're running this operating system, he's running this operating system, and she's running that operating system, that makes it a little easier because we all understand that even though we're running different operating systems or the same operating systems, we can apply individuality with the software and the apps that we place on top of it. So is that, was that a clear enough I think it was fantastic. <laughs> like, usually it takes us like 40 minutes to describe and like you did a great job, I think. Okay. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it was great oh, too. Beautiful, and Jeff. You guys, you guys weigh in. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's I think it's excellent and Jeff I'm curious about your perspective because I have so much experience being such close friends with them like it, hearing all of that like and, and when I asked you I was like what's your Myers-Briggs and you're like I don't know I don't like labels like when you hear the background and how it's being applied in this way you know what are your thoughts on mental technology and how it can be used well it's I like the uh, um the analogy of the operating system and being able to boot different things on it because my experience has been that when I want to change something and I choose to learn how to do that, then I can change something. And when I want to learn a new skill, I learn it. Uh, but when I don't, I won't. And uh, that includes behavior patterns. So 
I mean, I know that, uh, you know, uh, for me, my experience with these tests tend to be from HR people trying to slam you into a box and make you fit into their puzzle. And if you don't fit into their puzzle, they just disqualify you. And I just think that that's just uh, general human behavior is to label you and slam you into a box. And I, I find that to be prohibitive um, and uh, probably uh, counterproductive in the long term. But uh, the, the, the sense that if we treat it more like an operating system, I, I like that. Uh, because that's my experience. Like they tell you, you can't become good at things once you hit a certain age. And I, I think that's bullshit. Excuse my language. You know, like everybody tells me I'm such a great photographer. I'm a better photographer than I'm a writer. And you know what? I really didn't even pick up a camera until 2008. And I was uh, uh, 36 years old, you know, and I would tell you, I didn't even become good until I was 42 when I decided uh, that my photography sucked and I needed to learn how to edit, you know, and, and then I forced myself to do it, even though I had resisted it. And once I went in, I, I made that decision, you know. To me, it's about commitment, compassion for something, or passion for something, if you would, and a desire to really uh, get into a, a behavior or a, a skill set. And, um, you know, to say that you can't do something because of what your Myers-Briggs test says is just something I've heard and it's something I refuse to accept. Yeah. I think a really good model will always be facilitating, not limiting. Yeah. And if a model uh, is imposing limitations or even just a person's understanding of a model is imposing limitations, then it's not the right model for them. Um, and that's the, that's the nice thing about mental technologies and models is, or at least in my opinion, even as somebody whose bread and butter is doing this all the time, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's supposed to serve us. We don't serve it. And so in a, like an HR department context where somebody's enforcing labels, um, that means that they're trying to they're trying to make people serve the model, and that's why it turns into a limitation. But if the model is serving us, and we understand it with a little bit more, um, like like it gives us an empowered frame, helps us understand why we behave the way we do, and helps us communicate better with other people, then it's a good model, and it should be applied. And if it's starting to limit, then in my and you throw the model out and you go find one that's better suited to you. So I know you guys work with different companies and, and Zappos is one of your clients who's very well known for their culture. And I'm just curious in, in, in hearing this and it's true that in most companies, our first interactions with the Myers-Briggs model is because of an HR department or some personal development that is happening as part of a team retreat or team development. And it seems to me that Zappos has done a really good job of being able to leverage this kind of technology, not to limit, but to actually expand and create really effective teams. What do you recommend for companies who want to create systems for people to be able to self-inquire so that the team is more effective, but not put their people into a box? I think the, so from my standpoint, the, one of the biggest things that you give somebody when you go through this at a company is you give them language to interface with each other and to recognize, because again, it's not necessarily the behavior that we're like, we look at behavior, obviously that's a marker of it, but we're trying to get down to the wiring of the mind. How is someone learning information? How is someone making decisions? If you're on a team, you're a team lead, or you're on a team working with a bunch of coworkers, and you know how your coworkers are seeing the world, the lens they're seeing the world through, it can really help you when you're in brainstorming sessions or in team meetings and things, when you're trying to get you know, things accomplished, like, how are you not seeing what I'm seeing? It's like, oh, I have language. This is how you're seeing what I'm seeing right now, right? It's like this language you have, the ability for you to understand, oh, you're, you're seeing this more in an abstract way because that's how you're wired. 
I'm looking at the concrete details. You're looking at the abstract. You're not trying to be obtuse. You're not trying to, uh, you know, stop me from getting something done. You're just trying to open the frame more and see something abstract coworker of mine or team lead or whatever, you know, whatever the configuration is. So it's just a, I think the biggest thing it gives teams is the ability to look at the other people on the, on the team that are playing alongside you to do some big stuff in the world. And you can basically go, I see how you're wired and you can give somebody grace and you can see how you're wired. You can see why you're responding the way you're responding to. Right. right. So this is really powerful stuff on that front. Yeah. Can I piggyback on yeah, that? Yeah, please. Um, so there's a tendency for people to use things like Myers-Briggs or other instruments like StrengthsFinder or Colby or Enneagram or anything else. Disc or Big Five. Disc, Big Five. Yeah, those are the more popular ones in the, um, the world of psychology. Uh, there's a tendency to want to be able to find the magic pill for hiring. And so they'll apply personality tests as a way to find yeah. the right candidates. And the challenge is that uh, personality will not tell you a person's skill uh, level, their experience, their drive, um, their values. Their, their, yeah, their, their individual values. Um, it won't tell you any of that information. So uh, to use it as a hiring tool, a person should be very, very, very cautious unless they themselves have and kind of e escalated uh, amounts <laughs> of proficiency with the model. Like they should, be, they should be an expert. And when I say things like cognitive functions, they should, they should be way ahead of me if they're going to use it for hiring. Otherwise, it's, it's quite unfair um, because it, it can't tell you a lot of the pieces of information you need. But in the hiring process, it will tell you one thing, and that is... We have a tendency, again, we overvalue our own experience, and we have a tendency to like people who are like us. You know, like we just talked to somebody who's really similar to us, and we're like, I just like the cut of that person's jib. I don't know what it is. There's just sure. something about it. And so we unintentionally and unconsciously tend to hire ourselves over and over and over in teams. And one of the things that understanding an instrument like this will do is it will catch the tendency to hire yourself or replicas of yourself over and over again and then suddenly have like all these sort of blind spots in your team. Uh, one of the things we noticed when we worked with Zappos Insights a long time ago was that at the time, uh, the person who was hiring was hiring themselves a lot. And their particular mental process or their cognitive function that they favored is a process that's technically called extroverted feeling. And extroverted feeling is all about harmony and connection and um, making sure like the morale is high. And so anybody who came in that was cheerful. Zappos and, does well, right? And Zappos That's what does they're that all well, known right? for. Yeah. And so, uh, and Insights is like a child company of Zappos to teach other companies how to create, in, like their, uh, replicate the way of creating culture in their own businesses. And so in this small team, you had like an overrepresentation of the cognitive function of extroverted feeling. And we nickname it harmony. So I'll just call it harmony. Um, there was an overrepresentation of harmony. Well, that's fine in keeping morale up and like and having good culture. But the challenge is that they were attracting C levels from other companies to come into the boot camps to teach them how to replicate this process. And most of the C levels that were coming in were not people who used extroverted feeling. They're people who use a process called extroverted thinking or what we call effectiveness, which is about metrics, bottom line, pass fail. How do I know the numbers play out? Which is what you would use, Nicole, right. as your primary way of seeing, you know, going through the world, right? So, <laughs> so yeah. effectiveness people who were their target avatar were flying in from all over the world to do these boot camps being taught by people who were about harmony. And I watched it happen a couple times where at the end of a presentation, the effectiveness people were like, okay, let's get to bottom line. What are the metrics? What are the numbers? How do you quantify all this? And the harmony people who were like, well, 
we haven't really worked out the numbers. It's more that everybody's happy, right? And everybody's having a good time. And look, and, 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 and there was an intuitive <laughs> understanding with Harmony people that if everybody's got high morale, then they'll all be doing better in their jobs. And the effectiveness people were like, yeah, that's not that intuitive. I'm going to have to see the hard data. And so this moment of awkwardness that kept coming up over and over until we said, you don't have a single effectiveness person on your team, not one, in a team of like a dozen people. It was actually a baker's dozen, not a single effectiveness person was on the team. The so nobody's them, working right? on the metrics. And every time the question, well, it didn't kill them. They were okay because Zappos in itself spoke like to these C-level people. So they were like, okay, I will kind of give you some wiggle room. But I was like, if you get an, an effectiveness person on there, and they work out the ROI and the metrics, you're gonna have a much more compelling case. Yeah. And it was just something they, they didn't even know to look for. So in hiring, one of the things that this, like these kinds of personality tests can do is not necessarily get a specific person on the team, but to see if your team has a blind spot. What's that blind spot? What is being overrepresented over and what's being underrepresented? And then those kinds of things will shine a light in a dark place on your team. I love that perspective because I like I've used this myself and just looking at who I work with, like I know some of my own blind spots, right? Like I am the effectiveness person, but I am not like accuracy is a blind spot, not necessarily a blind spot. It's just not a decision making function for me. So I will forego the accuracy if it's not perfect and be like, ah, it's close enough. But to yeah. somebody who's like an accuracy person, like our friend, Jesse Newburn, who I love and work with often, the reason I work with her is because she brings that to the table and will show me, well, we actually need to balance this out with a little bit more detail so that your accuracy people will be able to understand it and will stand behind it. And so as we look at communicating information, I think all of this, you know, the harmony people, the effectiveness people, and I assume there are many others. When you really understand that, not only within your own team, you can also start to look within your own family and you can say, why are, you know, why am I arguing with my spouse? Well, maybe we're looking at this through a different lens and he needs something different than what I need. And I know in my own personal relationship, you know, my partner is a feeler and I'm a thinker. So the, those two things, he's very sensitive to emotions and very sensitive to how I make him feel or how he perceives I make him feel. And I'm very much like, how do we get to the end of this? <laughs> like, what's the fastest way to the end of this conversation? And being able to have that lens and to understand like, oh, okay, well, this piece is really important to him or this piece is really important to this person. I can then not, not, it's not that I change what I'm saying, but I can be cognizant of it in a way that ensures everyone's needs are met. And we can create, I think harmony becomes for me, a natural byproduct of having that lens. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The conscious marketing podcast is sponsored by the conscious marketing Institute. Learn more at consciousmarketinginstitute.com. Are you ready to go further? Check out the latest free masterclasses and upcoming courses Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Am I striking a chord for you today? You can hire me too. Learn how at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Just click on services. And now let's get back to the show. Not, not, it's not that I change what I'm saying, but I can be cognizant of it in a way that ensures everyone's needs are met. And we can create, I think harmony becomes for me a natural byproduct of having that lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
We also uh, recently, is, is it okay if I give some context, a person watching might want to know what those eight functions are to try to self-identify? Yeah. Is it okay if I, okay. Yeah. So, so the four decision-making or uh, evaluative criteria, like the, like the should statements in our head that we just unconsciously have with us all the time, like the world should be a certain way. The four different styles, we've already talked about effectiveness, which is bottom line, pass, fail, I want the metrics and the numbers. Uh, the second one we already talked about was harmony extroverted feeling, which is about morale and connection and uh, making sure that people are um, honoring each other, connecting. Uh, the third one, you just mentioned accuracy. Its technical name is introverted thinking, and it's about the purity of information. So that's a little different than an outcome. It's about wanting to get as pure information as possible. Think of it kind of loosely like math or the science. It's more process-focused than result-focused. Exactly. And the final one, and it's, this is what your partner has, Nicole, is uh, introverted feeling or what we call authenticity. And authentic, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and authenticity is about what feels right to me. So it's more about how the individuals are impacted by choices. And it tends to be more about ethics and conscience. So those are the four decision-making criteria. And all of us favor one of those four as our primary way of making decisions. And you can usually find yourself in there. And, and like I said, we have access to all of them. So there's going to be a moment, if you're an authenticity person, there's going to be a moment of bottom line for you. And there's going to be a moment of pure data. And there's going to be a moment of getting everybody's needs met. But for the most part, you're going to favor what feels right and authentic to you as a person. Uh, and so all of us have access, but we choose one that is our go-to. And then the four what's technically called perceiving processes or information gathering processes. Uh, one of them is called introverted sensing. We've named it memory. It's about a past orientation and understanding who we are based on our past. So it's about picking up information as we go and consulting experts and making sure we're keeping precedent going. Uh, it's not evaluating things or judging them. It's just an attempt to manage things. And so people who use that have a tendency to reflect backward when they're learning. Uh, there's another one called extroverted sensing or what we call sensation, which is that in the moment, um, it's picking up a bunch of information in order to make quick decisions based on it. This is the favorite one of a lot of athletes um, and people who need fast information. And then another one is uh, introverted intuition, which we call perspectives. And that is more pattern recognizing into the future. So it's future pacing and seeing way down the line. And it's also jumping into other people's perspectives to try to learn information by trying to figure out how other people are seeing it beyond just how they're seeing it. And the final one is extroverted intuition or what we call exploration, which is pattern recognizing the world through uh, gathered experiences. So it's um, button mashing and throwing spaghetti against the wall and brainstorming in order to come up with new connections. And it's focuses on novelty. So you have one of the four judging or decision-making as your favorite, and then it pairs naturally with one of the four uh, information gathering. And then when you discover which one of those two is your favorite from each category, that's what defines your personality type. And that's your operating system. So you can write any app or software on top of that operating system, but that's your fundamental way of engaging with the world. And that's your funda fundamental way of uh, making decisions on the information you gathered. Is it fair to say that once you figure out your driver and your co-pilot that um, like which one is the one that is most beneficial for someone to really expand into, to really grow and kind of get the best of all worlds of who, what their operating system yeah. is? Well, like Antonia said a little earlier, the tendency for us, so we have our driver, that primary cognitive function, primary way of going through the world. 
is going to have an attitude attached to it, an extroverted or introverted attitude. And the co-pilot or the auxiliary, what's technically called the auxiliary function, is going to have the opposite attitude. So if, again, like for me as an ENFP, my driver is extroverted. I'm an extrovert, so I have extroverted intuition as my driver. And that means my co-pilot is going to be introverted, introverted feeling. And everybody, we, it's our belief here at Personality Hacker that everybody uh, will benefit from growing that co-pilot more than anything else to start with. So what I mean by that is our, our, our tendency is, again, like Antonia mentioned, to skip past that standing the attitude that we're comfortable with because that 10-year-old that she talked about that sits in the backseat of our car, that's, that's the same attitude as our driver. So it's very comfortable for us to be in that world. That's why we tend to go there when we're defensive or when we're trying to like, you know, keep things at arm's length or we're trying to figure something out. Like we, can go, we can skip to that and utilize that instead of growing our co-pilot. We still have access to our co-pilot. We still use it a lot. But sometimes it can feel like, oh, it's like it's a lot of hard work to go there and put intention to it, put discipline to it to grow it and to focus on it. So in principle, we found that most people get benefit by going to that co-pilot and focusing on growing it, focusing on exercising it, and taking the raw talent that sits there and developing skill around it. So for example, for me in my own personal life, I've spent a lot of time in the last six, seven years focusing on introverted feeling. How do I subjectively feel about things? Because it was so easy for me to skip past that and go to my, what's my tenure, which is effectiveness, trying to get to the bottom line. When I'm faced with a problem, I'm looking, how do I get, how do I get this handled as fast, you know, as fast as possible? And, but it's like the development of a 10-year-old, right, in my personality. So it's not going to be very sophisticated like with you, Nicole. You do this very well because this is what you lead with. But it's not my primary. So I'm like kind of struggling along a lot. But now that I've been working on getting into that introverted feeling, what resonates with me at a core level? What, make, what makes a deep, authentic connection to me? What are my core values? What are my true core values? What's my motivation? How do I show up to the world? And how am I reading other people's motivations? If I'm playing in that world, I all of a sudden start to have superpowers I didn't know I had, right? Like they start to come out. I'm developing skill around that. And I'm showing up as a much better person, a much better leader, a much better marketer, all these things that, that are coming from growing that. So in principle, that's what we really direct people to first to spend time there. Did that answer your question? Yeah, beautifully. Because like I know for myself, and I, I did this intuitively. It didn't, it, you know, at the at the time, like I didn't, um, realize I was doing it, but basically, you know, when I kind of had this life experience and life event that kind of shook up my whole world, I found myself like really reflecting and looking within and starting to ask questions about how I felt because what I had realized is that for a variety of reasons, but mostly because of childhood trauma, I had really shut off my feeling part entirely. My whole emotional body was completely shut down. And I really didn't experience emotions. I remember saying to someone at a conference one time, I was like, you know, sometimes like, I wonder if I'm like, like a little bit of a sociopath because I don't feel emotion. I don't feel guilt. I don't feel these bad things that people tell me about. I don't feel anything. I just feel numb to everything. And so as I was like facing my mortality, you're kind of looking at it and going, well, maybe I should have some feelings about that. <laughs> and I started really focusing on how I felt and it totally transformed my entire life. I also started taking more time alone and I really exercised my introverted muscles for probably like two years. Yeah. I really like, I didn't interact with people for a while. I really looked within and I, I realized that I could get just as much energy from being alone as I could from engaging with a group. And the funny thing is, is that now 
And I've asked you guys, like, can you switch extroverted and introverted? Because now, like, I'm like, after I've been with people for a long time, like, I kind of fall into that extroverted introvert where it's like, okay, there's an end to it. Like, I need, now I need my personal time. <laughs> totally. I was going to say, uh, it's interesting, I think, from my perspective, when I, I'm listening to the conversation, um, you know, I think that this is useful to help navigate situations not for you, but when you're dealing with other people. Like for example, uh, that results only oriented person and when you see them just leaning into that personality, um, sometimes our strengths become weaknesses, you know what I mean? When we just over rely on them and don't compensate with that co-pilot as you had said. So do you teach folks how to use these skills or the ability to recognize these different operating systems, if you would, or skill types and, and how to better manage uh, within uh, an organization or within a, an enterprise or even a team? We, we look at it more holistically than just for enterprises or teams. So we do have, uh, like our flagship training, for example, is called Profiler Training. And what we do in that course, it's, a, it's like a four-month course, the five-day intensive live event. It basically teaches people to do what we do, which is to sit down with someone in a formal, it could be a formal or informal conversation, but basically have a conversation with them, determine their, how their wiring is, and then help guide them in maybe personal growth goals or just to understand themselves better, get a more nuanced thing. And a lot of people that have gone through that training have applied it. Like we had, have multiple business owners that go through and they use it in their organizations because once they have a sense of how people are wired, it has helped them. Well, actually, what's funny is one of, our, one of our students that came through like four or five years ago, his name's Ivan, he did it for his business. He inherited this business from his father and he and his father were having dynamic issues and also the, the business was having some issues. He wanted to learn more about how to implement this in his business. And what ended up happening was he did in the business, but also he said the side benefit was I went home and now I'm interfacing with my son differently and my wife differently. And it like really impacted a lot of areas of his life. He's also an ENTJ. And uh, it was very profound for him because it's not just... The, the application is not just business. It's really any area of your life that, that you touch, you know, around you. It can be impactful there. All the people in your life, whether it's personal, friends, family, business, associates, marketing. I mean, we can talk about marketing here a little bit about how it can be powerful for that too. There's just, there's so much use here. Um, so, so we don't necessarily go in with the framework like uh, the application is not always business. It's more about here, understand this and apply it to whatever you're interested in, which is business often. That makes sense. Right. We do have a couple of business-oriented programs yeah. in our catalog. Uh, however, we, we feel that the area of things like personality type and personality models, um, the area that was uh, audiences were just yearning for but weren't quite getting because these models and uh, systems were so often applied to business worlds, is people knew that there was something power here for their own, powerful for their own personal development. So that's actually the area we've decided to focus on. Right. Is, uh, and, and the challenge, uh, I think another reason why some of these models can turn people off is that the challenge is that the first step is to figure out your type and then kind of figure out your operating system or your own wiring. And then people get stuck there in self-affirmation. Like they just, they, they over-rely on the model. They get super dependent on on it they start to define their limitations they start to tell other people what they can't do and what they should like they, they kind of turn it into a, a way to be a bully in some ways right. um because at the first level it, it really the model is powerful for self-acceptance really right um self-acceptance is the first level which is like oh 
oh, so much makes sense. Oh my gosh, now I understand why I was doing all that stuff. Oh my God, like that just makes so much sense. And there's, there's a hit to that. There's a hit to that feeling that people kind of get addicted to. And so then they just keep wanting to learn more and more and more and more about all of these different models so they can get that hit of self-acceptance. And that's an important, and that is an important level to go to. Self-acceptance is super, super valuable. And these models facilitating that, I think, is one of their biggest, um, one of the biggest things that they bring. But to get stuck there is, uh, it's, it's a little masturbatory. Right. And, and, it, and it can actually turn into its own, its own challenge. And the, the second level is then to give other people acceptance. That's the next natural piece. And so to just learn about it for your own self-acceptance turns masturbatory. But if you do it to understand where other people are coming from, then now you've elevated the model to something more useful. But the final piece is to now use it to grow, to not limit yourself in a definition, but actually to facilitate your own growth and to become a better version of yourself. Um, that's actually where things can go. And once you hit that level, because we're talking about yourself, from which your entire life, you know, like manifests outside of, uh, then it does hit every single area of your life. And, you're, and you make better business decisions. You, better, you make better relationship decisions. You make better life decisions because you're now uh, understanding sort of the ergonomics of how your world can interplay with your natural wiring. And, and you don't try to fit yourself into a mold that's not natural to you. Uh, you don't try to become a bully and force everybody else to see your perspective and it's got to be your way you have a better sort of synergy with everything around you. Um, and I, I think in a business application, and that's one of the reasons why we have a couple of business programs in our suite, because there is so much application here uh, by creating an environment that's sort of ergonomic to everybody's personality, um, including those of you, like your avatar, like the person you're trying to communicate with. Uh, what are their values? What is their wiring? Yeah. Uh, are you talking to them in a way that makes sense to them? Uh, are you trying to accommodate everybody's different style? And, and, that, and they probably, like not everybody's going to seek you. You're going to speak to a certain avatar. And so what's that avatar's wiring? Can you say it in a way that's very clear for them? So a couple ways that this works is not just in team building, but also in, uh, you know, when you build an avatar, you're supposed to get all sorts of demographic information. You know what she means when she says avatar, right? Customer avatar. Customer avatar. Uh, my yeah. To make sure that everybody right. that's watching too can right. make sure that... that like your target our audience, really. Yeah, that yeah. one person who's representing your entire Profile, life. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And when you look at that, you're supposed to get all sorts of demographic information. Like, you're even supposed to name them, right? This is Sally, and Sally's 45, and they're, you know, <laughs> this socioeconomic level, and this is their life, you know, this is their life. And you create this really fleshed out description of a human being without adding in their own personal motivations or how they're evaluating things or what are the what are the words that are really going to speak to them how do you meet them where they're at cognitively and so one of the nice things about understanding these models is that you can get super clear on who that person is not just in their outer world circumstances but also what their operating system is what are what is really like speaking to them what is something that means something to them um, how are they going to want to consume your content and then how are they going to need to hear it in order to evaluate whether or not it's the right fit for them right. so those are the kinds of ways that it can be really powerful in a business application but as Joel mentioned we like to focus on the growth application too so you can apply the model to your business and say, uh, where's my business? Like almost personality type your business and ask, where's my business stagnant? Like, is it just in a self-accepting mode? Is it constantly saying, no, 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 we're like, we're an amazing business and we don't have any blind spots and we're awesome. Or what's the growth path for your business, right? If your business had a personality type, what's the next level for it? How can you grow it and turn it into the best version of itself? What right. is it? Doing? So there's a lot of different ways that this can be applied that really moves the needle for a business um, and marketing and that sort of thing. 
because you just see sort of all of this as a, a macro version of the individual experience of growth, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. I think that's, uh, I think like now you're speaking my language. I, and I think that <laughs> that's, that, like, no, that's really, uh, no, I think that's very powerful. And I think that's, uh, there's the value in it to me, you know, because, uh, I mean, again, when I hear, and maybe this is my personality type, but as soon as you tell me I fit in a box, I want to break it. You know, I'm like, okay. Are you loving what Jeff is laying down? You should hire him. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. I really like seeing something happen that impacts people. There's nothing quite like building a product or a service or helping a cause where you get to see the customer or the end user really feel awesome or smile because this changed the way they think about the world. When you do something like that, that has lasting impact. And there's only three types of campaigns you can buy. Fundraising, product launch, or some major corporate initiative. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And now let's get back to the show. Because, uh, I mean, again, when I hear, and maybe this is my personality type, but as soon as you tell me I fit in a box, I want to break it. You know, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. there's a, there is a personality, several personality types that feel that way. <laughs> so, totally <laughs> normal, Jeff. We, we uh, let you and, on the hook. Oh, my partner is one of them. So he is the same way in that he's like, no, you're not going to give me a label. And it's true that, you know, we had this conversation with Tamson last week where we talked about, you know, the limitations of labels and how when we take a label and we prescribe it to ourselves, then we essentially continue to recreate that label in our lives and we're living this very limited experience when we're all multidimensional beings and so but using it as a growth opportunity for yourself using it as a growth opportunity for your company for me that's where i found the most power as well as in personal relationships but i really want to dig into the market marketing side of this now. Now that we have the framework of what we're talking about and everyone kind of understands why we're talking about it, you know, Joel, you're you came from the marketing industry, longtime friend. You know, you were the you actually were one of the first people who published some of my content on folk media when you were running it. Um, and of course that content was on return on investment as an ENTJ. I was <laughs> perfectly aligned with my my flow state. So tell me about like looking at marketing. We talked about the customer avatar piece. The thing that I, I noticed that marketers do is that when we're developing these customer avatars, they're either entirely too limiting or they're entirely too broad. So how can you really look at who your audience actually is? And then the second piece of this is that when you're looking at marketers who are designed to serve the audience, what I find is that so many times the marketing team isn't the audience that they are designed to serve and they have a huge blind spot as to what that audience actually wants from them. Is it best to hire marketers who fit that customer avatar? That's an interesting question. So let's, uh, let's start with the speaking to people where they're at. I think we've been talking a lot about the high level abstract so far, right? We've been talking about, you know, once you know somebody and how they're wired and once you kind of have a sense of this, <clears throat> you can, speak to them in their language. Well, what is that language? Like, what is the tangible? What are we actually talking about here? Let's get like, let's zoom down into more tangibility if, if, if we can go there. And let's just take, you know, Antonio talked about there are four ways of learning information or perceiving cognitive functions. And there's four ways of judging or evaluating criteria, making decisions. 
we're in a marketing framework. Obviously, we want to speak to people in whatever way they're perceiving information or opening their frame. But I'm, let's not let's just put that to a side for this conversation because we don't have a ton of time to go through all of it. And let's talk about those four decision-making functions that Antonio has outlined already, right? Effectiveness, authenticity, accuracy, and harmony. And this, from marketing, from like a marketing standpoint, as far as speaking to people, this is where I think a lot of uh, a lot of effort can be put into because when you are in a marketing or sales place, you're trying to get people to make a decision. You're trying to get them to evaluate something they heard and either click on the link or sign up for the newsletter or, you know, put their credit card number in or whatever it is. You're trying to motivate them to do something, right? Uh, and you're going to motivate people, however they're wired in one of those four decision-making functions a little bit differently with the literal language you will use in like sales copy or something on a presentation or whatever. You're going to literally speak differently depending on who you're talking to. Now we have the advantage here because we're a personality type company we know segments of our list, like our marketing list, and some of the people that come through, not everybody, but if they're in our database, they've taken a test to get into our database. So we're pretty sure of what their personality type is based on the test they took. So when we speak to people, if we wanted to, we don't do this right now because we just speak to everybody in... Uh, Why not? Oh, my God. <laughs> we don't do this right now, but we could. We could get down to the nuance of speaking specific phrasing and language to people based on how their mind is wired to get decisions. And uh, this is another reason why I think people should know personality types is so they can watch marketers doing this to them. So they're not manipulated. They're not sitting ducks being hacked, right? Well, and that's, I mean, just to make a little note, one of the reasons why we don't do this and we're hesitant to, and uh, we also try to follow the don't be evil model in all of this, is that arguably uh, the recent campaign election, yep. these are the kinds of tactics that were employed in order to sway, and they're swaying elections now. Cambridge Analytica yeah. in Europe. Mm -hmm. like Absolutely. So the <clears> idea <throat> that this isn't powerful stuff is actually creating a blind spot uh, to how much power other people are able to employ on you having this information. And so we try not to be evil. We try not to be manipulative in this way. But at the same time, we try to meet people where they're at. Yeah. And so there's like a fine line here. The fine line is honoring other people and meeting them where they're at. <laughs> and then the going over that line is the now being deliberately manipulative and trying yeah. to just hack people for your own, um, your own ends. And so even in marketing, and you guys are doing conscious marketing, in marketing you have to be uh, very aware of the, the, that there's actually legit power here um, right. to, to kind of hijack people's thoughts. Yeah. And so using, using these kinds of tools needs to be done with a certain amount of integrity um, as well. And, uh, and I think that that's the important piece is that it's powerful. It's, it's being used on you right now. You should probably know how it's being used on you. You should probably be aware of it and then if you choose to uh also employ this kind of content and information uh, try to do it with some conscious conscience and integrity associated yeah. with it yeah so so what we're gonna what i'm gonna tell you right now if you're watching or listening better not use this for evil i'll yeah. hunt you down no, yeah no, no, i probably will hunt you down i don't know but just be careful because this stuff is powerful and, and hopefully I, I think that your audience guys you're attracting people that are decent human beings that are going to be careful with the type of stuff that they do so that's my hope yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think people oh, that don't listen to this podcast that are the issue. <laughs> there you go. See, <laughs> so listen to conscious marketing. Uh, so basically, you uh, let me just give you kind of a, a just a, a tangible. It's not again. It's not comprehensive. It's not going to be the end all be all of the language used, but just a couple ways of thinking about some of these. So, uh, so you can have some tangible takeaways from today's conversation. So if you're talking to an effectiveness person, let's say you are running a company and you're marketing to mostly effectiveness people. Let's say these are people that are bottom line thinkers. They're looking for metrics and numbers. Again, they're not really concerned too much about the purity of the data they're looking at, right? They want to know 
I don't care if the data is pure. Does it work? Does it get me results? And so in marketing, you can literally say, you know, this works. The bottom line, this is, the, this is the outcome. Words like outcome, bottom line, results, metrics, uh, accomplishments, you know, things, you know, checking things off. These are the types of language you can use to articulate to an effectiveness person about your product or service, right? This is going to decrease your, uh, or this is going to increase your retention rate by 10%. You know, those kind of, those kind of languaging patterns or words like effective yeah. and efficient. This is efficient for Putting your business. Putting things out in bullets. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is honoring yeah. time. It's a system, it's a system, that, system works. that works every time. It's replicatable. Sustainable. It's a blueprint. You know, you hear these marketing. Scalable. <laughs> Scalable. Yeah. Yeah. Blueprints. Uh, I feel like I'm on a bad oh. online conversation, man. I'm like, da 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 da. I'm on the HubSpot blog. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so that's going to be the language that if you're speaking to an audience, and again, your audience, every marketer's audience is going to have a blend of all these people. My experience that you have primary, you tend to attract some primary types of people that are wired that way. So that's the effectiveness. When you're getting them to decision, you want to use a lot of that language, a lot of that type of speak. Uh, you know, obviously your copy, you don't want it to be so long. You have an executive summary because they want to get to the bullet points quickly to make the decision. It's about speed of information, or it's about speed of making decision about outcome and things of that nature. And that's the, uh, that's extroverted thinking or effectiveness. Now, introverted thinking, go ahead. I just wanted to say, like, um, one of the things that you can use to know if that's your audience is if you're targeting high level, high level management and you're a B2B company, that's a pretty good indicator that the effectiveness filter might be pretty effective. Yeah. Or if the product in and of itself is an efficiency tool yeah. um, designed to make people's life easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, I think, did you mention HubSpot, Jeff? I don't, yeah. Yeah. So, like, HubSpot's targeting a lot of marketing people mm -hmm. and... Uh, there's probably two brands marketing. I'll get to the other one here, but there's, there's kind of the bottom line, but there's also the creative kind of marketing people that are really into the whole, you know, the, the glitz and glamor of the, the ad agency world of like making things look polished and really creative and stuff. Right. So that's, that's the other side of the coin. But so speaking to both of those energies is probably where a lot of marketers like HubSpot, for example, if they're speaking to their marketing crowd. Uh, they could probably use a lot of that language to, to reach them. Um, so that's effectiveness. If you look at introverted feeling, so that authenticity process, which again is about core values, inner alignment, the subjective human experience of someone, you know, like what is the, what are people going to feel when they hear this message? If you're, you're marketing to those kind of people, you use words like resonant. Does that resonate with you? Does that feel right? Uh, is that congruent? Does that meet the values that we're trying to do as a, a company or a, as a product or service? Does that take care of the individual and honor the individual uh, human experience. Yeah, just speak to core values. Yeah. So these are the languages and the, and the words you would use. And what's interesting is, uh, so that would be probably the other side of the coin for some, a lot of marketers. They tend to have that blend of uh, that human subjective experience. And they can almost sense like, okay, this speaks to me emotionally. If I create an ad or a marketing piece, this is probably going to speak to other people emotionally, right? So, I'm a pepper. Yeah. That's my identity. Yeah. That's who I am. That's what, pepper, right? that's what resonates with me. Even though everybody in the commercial has the same t-shirt on. T -shirt on. <laughs> We're all individuals together. It's <laughs> like, right. the idea of being an individual and standing up and speaking out and, you know, kind of that idea, don't put me in a box, really, mm -hmm. Jeff, right? Like, don't, don't tell me that I'm, I'm one thing. I'm, I'm a, if you give me a pepper shirt, I'm going to burn it. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, don't tell me I'm like, just like everybody else. Like, mm -hmm. I am a unique individual that no one could understand the nuance of who I am on the inside. Like, there's no way you can get into my world and understand all the different parts and everything that I experience. The good, the bad, the dark, the light. It's humanity fascinating. 
I'm so multifaceted. And so language that speaks to that, like, you know, this idea of being a very rich depth of a person. You're different. You're uh, unique. Yes. You're yeah. special. Yeah. This speaks to authenticity. I'm an authenticity person. That speaks to me like crazy. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I am individual and unique. <laughs> There's nobody else like me, right? This is like the, the way we feel about ourselves as authenticity people. So that's effectiveness. These are actual language that you can use in marketing, copy or video or audio or whatever. Uh, and then the other one is extroverted feeling. Remember harmony, right? So this is about getting people's needs met in the world. This is about creating great connections between humans in the world, about making sure everybody's getting along and having a great experience. And there's no need on the team going unmet or no need going unmet in my world. So a lot of marketing uh, to like uh, a lot of, uh, I think it's like 50, almost 50% of women use this process, Over right? 40%. Yeah. Well, 40% of women use this process. So a lot of moms that are like raising small children are going to be using the harmony process. Not all, but there's a significant amount that marketers, if you watch, marketing that targets mothers tends to focus in on this process, this harmony process. Look, you're busy. You've had a long day maybe at work and your kids are now home from school. you got to make dinner, stovetop stuffing or whatever. That's an easy way to get everybody's needs met in your household, right? Everybody's going to be happy. It's a picture of everybody around the table eating and laughing and having a great time and you got their needs met. My favorite of that is the commercials who show the mom getting all the needs met, and then at the end she gets a coffee break herself, yeah. and she's like si sipping tea. She gets so her you needs got met. your needs met too. Yeah. So all of this uh, communication around not just everybody else's needs, but yours as well, and that's how you maintain harmony. Yeah. So the cow gone, take me away. That's right. Exactly. At <laughs> Absolutely. The end of and there's even uh, there was like a Swiffer commercial which was illustrating a man who used harmony recently, where it was like deep couch sitting or something, where he's like Swiffering the floor of the sun, and uh, it was talking about getting the you know, getting the needs met of the household and he was making sure things were clean and taken care of. And then he and his son got to connect and like spend time, spend together. time together. Right. So this is something that he got to take care of the needs of the family. So it's not just women, mm -hmm. but often marketing's targeted there because it's been traditionally how they've done it. And now men marketing toward men is coming in too, because men are wired with harmony just as much as, as women are, or not just as much in percentage wise, but there's a lot of men using harmony as well. So that's the language you'd use is getting needs met. What's the connection point, you know, having fun, connective family experiences, that kind of thing. Uh, would speak to that harmony process a lot. And so, then, yeah, go ahead. You have I gonna, questions. I was going to ask, uh, so based on what you've seen and how marketers use this, and uh, Antonio, maybe like you can uh, pick this up first. Um, when you look at this political environment, and I'm not going to choose sides because okay. it's so easy to do that, but we're not going to do that. Um, I mean, how, how are politicians exploiting uh, these personality types right now to kind of, press everybody's buttons. You guys had kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier with the elections, but can you dive into that? Because I think that's a fascinating piece of content that uh, people might wrap around. Yes, let me finish, the, let me finish yeah. the last piece just so it completes it and then we'll jump right to that. Right. One second, that's what, yeah. just to finish this up. The last one is introverted thinking, what we nicknamed accuracy. And these people in, uh, in the audience are probably the toughest to market to out of all four of the decision-making processes because they don't care about outcome as much. They really don't care about everybody getting along. And it's not really about what resonates or the internal, like real depths of experience. It's about the accuracy and reliability of the information. Does the information line up? Does this make sense in my head? Does this make sense for this thing to be the outcome? And uh, often you'll see this kind of marketing in things that are uh, tools or machines. So sometimes it could be like a GPS unit that they're trying to market. Something that really like this will help you find uh, the precise place on the lake to go fishing because it's precise and it's accurate and it's the metrics are there to get the the tool you need to get the job done. Yeah. 
this kind of language in the in the accuracy process. Yeah, precision, stats, um, being able to take things High-performance machines or high-performance tools. Alienware laptop does this really well. Yeah. Like, they're very, like, lots of data points and lots of, like, letting you know what the specs are. So I just want to give you all that just to, to have a framework of some tangible ways to think about when you know someone's uh, decision-making process, you can know how to talk to them, how to speak to them well. So let's talk about, you take this one first. I don't want to touch political stuff, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> they go. Uh, I, I did this to her. I don't yes, know why. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that Cambridge Analytica is using cognitive functions. I don't. I think that they're using other personality type models. And I think one of the things they're trying to get into is people's uh, general motivations. Um, I, I think the reason why right now identity politics is such a huge thing is uh, most of these personality type systems are really trying to get into people's core motivations and their, how they see themselves and their identity. Right. And I think one of the reasons why, and this is more of like a, this is a, I don't know, just kind of an impression I have of where we're at in, you know, in the, the phase of time or in our timeline. But right now, it feels like identity is very difficult for people to nail down, uh, just in general, because we're in a very postmodern world where people don't have strong alignments with bigger institutions so much, like religion is atrophying or people's traditional relationship with religion is atrophying their traditional relationship with patriotism is atrophying. So we used to see ourselves as like sort of a cog in like a bigger machine and we plugged ourselves in and we knew we were going to be taken care of and that was who we were. And not everybody had the benefit of that. Of course, we did it on the backs of a bunch of people who uh, didn't really get to find their place in that machine as much. Um, and, and so in a postmodern world, we go, well, what if there is no machine, right? Then who are you if you can't just plug yourself in? And a lot of people are going, yeah, who am I? And in this, uh, in this sort of uh, uh, murky world of identity, there are bigger institutions that are seeing this, uh, seeing sort of a vacuum created, scooping people up in order to identify with their machine. And it's done in a, a far less obvious way than maybe religion or patriotism or some other things are. Um, and this would actually go to a completely different model other than Myers-Briggs. And we, we actually, uh, on, our, on our podcast, we talk about multiple models. Some of them are, um, some of them are easier marketing than others. Uh, like Myers-Briggs is an easier one to apply to marketing. But uh, the, the, the answer to your question, actually, I would probably pivot over to another model called Spiral Dynamics or the Graves model. And Spiral Dynamics is, uh, it's a vertical model, not a, higher, um, uh, not a horizontal. So Myers-Briggs is horizontal, kind of assumes everybody's at the same level of development, but are all different. Um, uh, a vertical model is one of development and growth, and it kind of shows where we're going in time. And this particular model, I think, really shows that we're in a we're in a time period of transition in general, and people are losing their normal identity. And when people have the ability to use personality type systems, they see that we're in kind of this tentative time, and uh, they're able to use language, motivation, and uh, the inability to have a solid identity or a, a, a difficulty in having a solid identity to scoop people up and go, I'll help you create an identity by making a part of my movement. I'll help you create an identity by being a part of like my system. So and so it's almost like a convergence of two different models being ex to exploit a single challenge. Yeah, and, that's interesting. Uh, and that's what I would think Yeah, no, it reminds me of the, uh, I mean, this has been said before and it's not a new thing, but uh, historically speaking, the industrial era, yeah. what was happening in the 1920s and uh, to some extent the 1930s, it's a similar loss of identity. The word you picked that you said that I picked right up on was postmodernism and uh, 
that that complete confusion. Um, very interesting. Yeah. 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 And I think, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say one little quick thing. If you have a strong identity based on some of these models, as in you, you can self-assign, you're a little more resistant to other people exploiting that blind spot. And so it's not even so much that the, uh, the diagnostic isn't a model like mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs, but the prescription can to some extent be found there. As in like, if you start to really rest into your understanding of how your own mind works, you feel yeah. a little less kicked around. Um, and, and then you find a solid kind of get your root chakra in there and you kind of have a more solid position. And then now you're less easy to scoop up in some of these things that tell you that they'll help you create an identity for you. Thank you, Nicole. I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's okay. I just was hoping that like, cause we've, we've talked about the Graves model many times and I, it applies to where we are as a society, which I think is really relevant for marketers to understand is where like, we are in this massive transition right now in society. And it has implications for each of us as individuals, but it also has implications for us as a collective. And so can you just speak to a little bit about where we are in that model and and what what kind of insights can we draw on that so this is a three-hour podcast right we can do quick like just do like a quick three minutes can you do three minutes i can never do anything for it's a lighting um, oh, i'm no. a historical <laughs> dynamic yeah i'm an, I'm an accuracy person so i'm all about like the refinement of data and i'm like and just i get my I get my little data dumping. On, and I data dump. It's Antonio data dumping. We love it. Uh, so my recommendation, if I could just like shamelessly plug our own podcast is uh, we actually at personality hacker podcast, we have a couple different podcasts on spiral dynamics or the graves model, which if you want to do a deeper dive, I recommend. And then there's some great resources out there, anything by Don Beck. Um, and uh, there's some great, great content. Christopher Cowan, Christopher Cowan, Don Beck, um, yeah. uh, and some others um, on spiral dynamics. But basically, just as an encapsulation of where we're at right now, not to go through the entire model, uh, we're in a time period right now where we are, we are losing our relationship to, um, to being a part of a, of a bigger institution. We're losing what, like we had a bunch of institutions before that were ready-made for us. You're born into a religion, that's the religion you stay in. Um, it's, it's your pappy and your pappy's pappy religion, and that's where you're at. Political party. Political party, same deal. And so there was kind of yeah. these ready-made institutions for us to plug ourselves into. And we're going into a time period right now where uh, we get to, um, we get to now use those institutions for our own purposes. Uh, and you can really see that right now. It feels like the political spectrum is very antagonistic towards big business. And one of the reasons is I think we in instinctively know that big business is starting to take over our actual, our actual rulership. As in like, it's not, it's the big businesses that are talking about things like making the infrastructure of our country better because they need it for their own business. Mark, and yeah, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about universal basic income. Right. Silicon Valley is leading the charge in that, not Washington. Right? Yeah. Healthcare, those kinds of things. Those kinds of conversations are more being tackled by big businesses than our, our governments. Um, and our governments seem to not really be very good at figuring these bigger challenges out. And business seems to be better suited because that's what they've been doing for the last many decades is that they have to problem solve on a big scale. Um, and, and make it and make it sustainable because you have to turn a profit in a business, right? You can't just do it without sustainability. So we're moving into a time period where it seems like businesses are becoming more powerful than governments. And that's very unsettling to a lot of people, <laughs> uh, especially if everything goes meritocracy 
safety-based, that feels like, well, what if I don't have merit? Where's my place in all of that? Um, and so because on a macro scale, we're going from one way of thinking to another, we, we all have to go through these levels ourselves and we all define out what our experience in the world is. We define it through the lens of our current growth state. And so where we're at on this, on the levels is our relationship to the shifts. So there's something happening out there and we have to try to determine whether that's good or bad and what's my place in it. And depending upon my level of development, I'm going to interpret it differently. I'm either going to determine it as good, bad, uh, right in alignment with what my current goals are, um, maybe scary. We might define it as simply challenges to solve. Like there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. And because uh, people have a tendency, we, we are moving up into the next level, I believe, of um, we're kind of shifting into like another level of consciousness. And that means that everybody who's, allowed themselves to sort of chill at certain levels and not really do any growth or go up the levels. Um, they're now being forced up and that's really unsettling to them. And in fact, it's a, uh, it's, it's causing a lot of personal angst. And so a part of the antagonism I, I, we see, I think is that uh, we're, we're forcing people out of their comfort zones and we're requiring all of us to see in bigger, bigger terms because we, we now are officially facing challenges that we have not, we're, we're not at a sophistication to solve the challenges we're facing. And the world is requiring us to, to, you know, best get to step in or destroy ourselves. And, uh, and so now, now that can cause personal angst and personal antagonism. And, and we have bigger, more sophisticated thoughts coming down the line with mavens and people who, are, um, people who are thinking at those levels. And then as they get disseminated down to, the, to whatever level an individual's at, they're going to interpret it differently than what it was intended to be. And so now we get somebody who maybe talked about the need to, um, need to honor other cultures and not exploit them. And then it gets disseminated down to a, a person who now uh, wants to create legislation around appropriation or something to that effect. <laughs> when it was originally intended to be an honoring, now it's now a law rule. Uh, because at this level, we want to turn everything into a law. But at this level, we want to turn it into a concept to, uh, to solve a problem. So that's the other thing is that we have very sophisticated thinking that's coming down the pipe to different levels that now have a different relationship with that idea. They want to codify it. They want, right. Or something to that effect where they, or it forces them to want to like, um, or encourages them to want to go to war over it or encourages them to want to exploit it uh, depending on where we're at. So sort of understanding where we're at in the levels of development helps give clarity on why we have the relationship to the outer world that we do. And it kind of informs some of the political angst we're saying. We're all stratified. We're all at different levels. And, uh, and now we have to, and, and as opposed to before, we could just be in our small little towns and sort of ruminate on what's going on in our town. Now we're so globalized and we have content so, or access to so much different information. Now these different levels are shoved in our face and now we have to determine what we're going to do about that. So I know that that's really abstract, but it was also a very abstract question. So I think that's perfect. I think what you because the conversation we're having here on the Conscious Marketing Podcast and with the Conscious Marketing Institute is essentially exactly what you're talking about, is that as a society, each of us individually has this journey going on within ourselves. And the journey that's going on within ourselves is both interpreting the world internally as well as interpreting it externally. Mind you, we're also going through these massive shifts 
uh, historically that also can be predicted, quite frankly, of what's, what's coming at us and how it's going to happen. But we haven't done enough self-inquiry to really understand what's going on. And so we're being slapped upside the face with things that we don't know how to deal with. I mean, the, the, the government and politics is a prime example. Regardless of your political stance, we, we, are, we are becoming divided as a nation rather than feeling American, if you will. Like you're seeing people choosing sides in ways that I've never seen politically. And so with all of this happening, it bears to question, how do I, like you said, how do I fit? Who am I? What are my values? What's really important to me? And how do I find those answers? Because we're not being taught that in schools. You can go through and you can get a PhD and still not understand how to self-inquire and how to figure out who you are, quite frankly. And I think that from a societal perspective, this is one of our biggest limitations right now, is that we haven't answered these questions. And so when you talk about people taking advantage or manipulating us, it's because we haven't done that self-work internally. And so from a consciousness perspective, and I, I, you know, I look at it and I see I see people going through these awakening experiences, these major life events, these major life shifts, and they, they either fall apart in them and completely, you might call it a midlife crisis, but I'm seeing it happen in people's 20s. I'm seeing it happen in people's 60s. I'm seeing it happen all across the board where these major life shifts are happening. And most of it is an evolution of their consciousness. We start with the consciousness of looking at ourselves. Then we start to look outside of ourselves and we start to look at ourselves as a piece of a system, usually a regional system. But now we have a, a lot of people in society who have evolved to starting to look at the world from a global conscious perspective and how we are all connected and how what we do as marketers and how what we do as individuals actually impacts the entire collective. And so it's just, I, I feel like this is a really exciting time to be alive, quite frankly, because I think we're watching something that historically will be reflected on for hundreds of years of how our society went from a very individualized society into one that is more of a collective consciousness as well as not losing that self-empowering piece. And so I just want to thank you guys for coming on because for me, understanding mental tech, and I love that you call it mental technology because many people would look at this and say that this is typing or this is, you know, putting people into a box as Jeff mentioned. But really what we're talking about is understanding yourself, understanding those around you and really understanding what your place is in the world and how to live and flow in harmony. And when we get to that place, I believe that we can unlock the full potential of humanity. And I just imagine a world where everyone is fully in line with their full potential and what we could create as a society if we could stop the bickering and stop the divisiveness and start coming together and really going within, doing the work, and then looking outside. So one of the things I love about you guys is that's what you encourage. It's like, go within, do the work on, your, on yourself, and then look at how you, can, um, how you can apply that out into the world, in your business, and in your family. So thank you so much for being here. It was truly an honor. And honestly, I can see um, definitely having you guys back on to talk about some of these other models some more because I can see people having a lot of questions about this and under, wanting to understand more about it. And I'll say this. If you don't know your Myers-Briggs type and or if you do, I highly recommend going to personalityhacker.com 
They have a 10 minute quiz that will give you the answer to that. And then they have tons of resources from articles to podcasts to videos that don't tell you, hey, this is you. This is what this, like you are this prescription, but rather this is how your mind operates. And if you understand how your mind operates, then you can learn how to use it more effectively. So thank you so much. It's been an honor. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting Nicole us Jeff. On. Appreciate it, guys. Cheers. Thank you for joining the Conscious Marketing Podcast and taking a look in the mirror with us. We hope you found you learned something new about yourself and have another tool to help raise the bar of consciousness in our industry. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to give us a review. Every review matters and helps another marketer find their way here. Want to have next week's episode automatically queued up for your commute? Remember to subscribe before you leave. We thank you for your support. Please go to ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com for show notes, links, and other awesome resources. It is our honor to serve you. Now, let's go change the world. Music for the Conscious Marketing Podcast is provided by Sophia Fleming. Please check out our new album, Collection of Reflections. Just search for Sophia Fleming online.